We're working our way through the Gospel of John, and the passage upon which our teaching is based this morning is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. You can turn there with me in your Bibles or in your worship guide. And as you turn there, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, we're wrestling, trying to find what it means for God to be present in our midst and how John represents that idea to us. Young people, if you've worked through your worship guide this morning and are thinking about this passage and what to draw, you could draw the night scene in which Nicodemus sneaks to meet Jesus. Or you might draw the uh, Old Testament passage that we read today that Jesus mentions that when a plague of snakes came upon the Old Testament people of God, uh, God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent on top of a pole and they had to look at that and faith and be healed from the poisonous snakes that afflicted them. And for uh, you children who are older and are beginning to think about what the sermon and this passage has in store for you, you can begin to wrestle with the question, what does it mean to be born again? Are you born again? And why is this important? And as we grown-ups wrestle with the idea of being born again, we realize that that's a term that carries a great deal of cultural baggage. Now, even I remember growing up uh, in the 70s and the 80s, their uh, the notion of Christians who identified themselves as born again. And 
people would, would say, you're not one of those born agains, are you? Because with it came a whole host of political convictions and uh, certain ways in which you viewed the world and certain commitments that you had uh, perhaps in your household. And sadly, some of those cultural commitments distracted from what really Jesus was trying to get at in John 3. Something that's essential. Something that's much bigger than simply convictions you might have culturally. Something about something that's so radical that it's described in actually being born again. So really we're just, I want to look at two aspects of this passage this morning. The first is the challenge of being born again, but the second is the necessity of being born again. It's not something that's negotiable, negotiable from our understanding of the gospel, from our understanding of Jesus, although it's language that we've distanced ourselves from because of some of the cultural baggage that exists. And so what is this challenge of being born again? It's a challenge that confronts Nicodemus uh, as if he's being hit across the face. Nicodemus has a, thinks he knows what's happening and finds that he doesn't at all. He sneaks to Jesus at night. He's a Pharisee. He's a, a ruler, a respected individual amongst the Jewish teachers and leaders. And it's his peers who will be intent on killing Jesus. It's not safe for him to be dialoguing with Jesus or to appear as if he wants to become a follower of Jesus. And that's why he shows up in the middle of the night. He's trying not to be seen. And he shows up, has kind of the, the sound when he talks to Jesus that, yeah, I know kind of what's going on. There's a group of us within the Pharisees, Jesus, and we realize who you are. Yeah, if, if, if someone wasn't from God, they couldn't do the things that you're doing. And so we, we get it. We recognize that you really are this kind of person. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do the signs that you're able to do, Nicodemus says in verse 2. And so characteristic for Jesus, Jesus doesn't comment on Nicodemus what he's revealing or saying. He doesn't comment on the signs that he's doing. He replies in a way that's hard to understand. And you think, if you put yourselves in the shoes of Nicodemus, it's one of those moments where, you'd be like, did you hear what I said? What? How did, how are you connecting these two things? Because Jesus replies in verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus shows up and says, we know who you are. We, we think that you're significant. We believe that God is behind the works that you're doing. Jesus says, you can't enter or see the kingdom of God unless you're actually born again. What might seem at the outset to be a complete, uh, completely disconnected. And Nicodemus can't understand what Jesus is after. What is Jesus after? Listen, girls, can you imagine that being born again, what does Jesus mean? And Nicodemus asked some good questions. Are you suggesting that as an old man, I would, I would get back into my mother and be born again? That idea is preposterous. It's silly. It can't possibly be done. No one can be born a second time. And the challenge to Nicodemus isn't that he would go through an actual physical rebirth but that he would indeed be reborn in the way that Jesus intends. Because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, there are several things that we can assume about him. Nicodemus was extremely knowledgeable. 
about the law. He had committed himself to studying the Old Testament. He was zealous for holiness, for honoring God in all things. And he believed that God would be faithful to his promises if God's people were faithful to to obey. These are the things that the outlines of what the Pharisees were committed to. And Jesus suggests to him that none of these things that you're committed to bring really what you necessarily expect them to. What is at hand is that you must be born again. And Nicodemus saying, well, my, my perspective, I know the law, I've studied it, I'm very knowledgeable, and I have certain expectations that God will be gracious and faithful to his promises, particularly when we are faithful and honor him. And then you're speaking in a language that I don't understand about being born again. You see, world's clashing for Nicodemus. This massive paradigm shift in which he can't really make sense of what Jesus is saying. And we realize that the challenge for Nicodemus, at least at one level, something we have to acknowledge is that Nicodemus does not really know God. He doesn't know God, at least in the way that he thinks he does, because God in the flesh is standing right in front of him. The kingdom has come with the king, and Nicodemus recognizes neither. And that should give us all pause, because there are plenty of people who might identify with the Pharisees today in this sense. We study the word and think we're knowledgeable, and we're committed to holiness and think of ourselves as zealous in that way. We think that God will be faithful to his promises, but then when we really meet Jesus, are we surprised? Do we really know the Jesus who's showing up in John 3? Or are we a little bit deluded like Nicodemus is in thinking that we know who God is, but actually being very surprised when Jesus actually shows up and starts doing business with our hearts? That becomes something that's far more difficult to understand. Jesus, in that, in those terms, almost becomes a stranger, someone who's different. And Nicodemus begins to wrestle with, oh, I... It's hard not to, to imagine that in Nicodemus, he begins to have to think, maybe I don't really know what I thought I knew. Maybe God is, is far more mysterious and surprising than we have expected, and something momentous is happening that I have not grappled with yet. And this is the great challenge of, um, of Nicodemus meeting Jesus, but not only meeting Jesus, being confronted with this idea of being born again. Is the same challenge that we are confronted with when we meet Jesus and when we are challenged with the idea of being born again. I, w- I was trying to think of an analogy that might be helpful to all of us to understand this, but particularly for, for our younger audience to start to, to wrestle with this as well. And I, I thought immediately of swimming in the sense that when a child begins to get into the water, uh, they will, if you leave them, they will drown. But we tend to put floaties on them. And the floaties equip them to kind of make it in the water. But what's often true of children is when they're wearing their floaties, they come to the conclusion that they can actually swim. They're independent. They're sophisticated. They've got this under control. There are these things holding them up. And only down the road do they realize, well, that's not really swimming. And eventually... Your floaty's going to pop, or it's not going to be available, and then you don't really know how to swim in the way that you thought you knew how to swim. This is something akin to what's happening for Nicodemus, who 
who had certain floaties and thought he could swim to a degree, and Jesus shows up and he realizes, oh, I don't know how to swim at all. Now, how do we see that going on in this passage? We've talked briefly about the challenge of being born again, but I want to move on to talking about the necessity of being born again. What is this that Jesus is talking about? In verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be born with water is to experience human birth. To be born in the Spirit is to experience the new birth, the supernatural birth of the Spirit that comes from above. And I think that what Jesus is after here in this passage is very reminiscent, very near to where his heart is in places like Mark 10, where Jesus says, uh, when he saw that people were preventing the little ones from coming to him, he says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to you to be born again? Why is it necessary for Jesus to articulate this notion in Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, you must actually be born again? Or for Jesus to say, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must again become like a little child. Does that not strike you a little bit as an odd expectation? And isn't there part of our hearts and our bents that would expect Jesus to say, well, when you reach a certain amount of knowledge, or when you pass your exams of theology, or when you serve enough people, then you will enter or see the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is saying is completely counterintuitive to our tendency in thinking, saying, no, you have to become like a little child, you have to be born again. What is he after? It's difficult to know in full what Jesus is after in, in this context and how it would have been processed by the people who were there, but I think unquestionably for us, it's something that gets at the heart of the heart of our heart struggle. I have spent a fair amount of time over the last six months um, fascinating and reading uh, psychology both in the Christian realm and in the secular realm, and this has been part and effort just to understand my own heart better and understand how to to engage hearts better. And one of the fascinating aspects of this to me has been that there is widespread agreement on this notion that uh, as children, we adopt certain ways of coping with the world. When we're confronted by pain or loss, we make certain decisions, we create certain mechanisms of engaging the world, and we actually carry those mechanisms with us into adulthood. And then for some people, realize, some people remain very committed to those mechanisms in dysfunctional ways, but other people realize that they don't actually work. And so as they realize that they don't actually work, they begin to wrestle with their identity and who they are. And if they're in the realm of Christianity, then they also wrestle with who Jesus is. Now, that all may sound very uh, abstract, but you might think, um, so an example might help. And we could do this with, with any number of things. But you can imagine um, a boy who's growing up in his home, and inevitably every child uh, becomes aware that the world is is not a safe place. And that comes traumatically for some children. It comes simply by a growing awareness for other children. 
It can come in big ways or it can come in small ways, but eventually, inevitably, you understand that the world is not as predictable as you thought. It's not nearly as safe as you thought when you were really little. You think, well, if it's not a safe place, if it's an unpredictable place, then you begin to ask questions about how do I survive in this kind of hostile environment? And different children, from their experience and from their makeup, the way that God has made them, make different decisions. And so you can imagine one child who might decide, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of funny. I make people laugh. And I like to make people laugh because it gives me a certain distance from the pain in the world and I give other people a certain distance. And even though I have all kinds of feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, when I make other people laugh, I feel important. And so this becomes the mechanism by which they navigate some of the pain and hurt in this world. And they grow up and they become adults. And at some point they may become, so let's say this, this little boy grows up and in college becomes a believer. He says, oh, I'm so grateful for the salvation in, that I have in Christ. I understand things in a new way. And he, he starts to become more whole, but he doesn't really change how he, he engages the world. In other words, he comes to Jesus and says, yes, Jesus has saved me from my sin. I'm so grateful. But he still relies on his humor. Maybe he cleans his humor up out of faithfulness. But his humor is still what really is saving him from the pain and frustration in this world. It's still what's giving him identity and distance. And so he continues to grow. But eventually, over time, he realizes that his humor doesn't really do it. He becomes more despondent over time less satisfied over time. And he's made people laugh so many times and been disappointed so many times that he really can't escape the notion that this doesn't work. And then he starts to come to a new crisis. A crisis can go any number of directions. We have only to think of Robin Williams to consider one direction. Let's say it goes in a different direction and this person comes again and begins to see Jesus in a new light and realize, oh, yes, I did know you in a certain way at a certain point in time and came to you, but now I'm realizing because my life is not going very well and what I've been relying on isn't working, that I don't know you in the way that I thought I did because if I did, my life wouldn't be this way. So either I don't really know you in the way that I think I do or you're not true or a liar. That's the dilemma that you're left with at this point. But then if you move towards Jesus, you realize, oh, you know, let's say this person who lives by humor comes to Jesus later and says, oh, I realize that I never really died. Right? I came to know you and I pretended to know you, but my old self I clung to and I've clung to for all these years and that's been the way I've negotiated life and it has never been surrendered And I don't know what it is to have life in you because my old self has never been put to death. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being born again. That's what we're talking about when we talk about becoming like little children and going back and realizing that at a very early stage, we decided on certain mechanisms by which to navigate the world that ultimately kept us at arm's length from Jesus. And so what you begin to realize and what Nicodemus has to struggle with is, so he, he, he thinks that he can swim. He's got these great high-end water wings. 
which is the law. And his heritage is being an Israelite of esteem. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, no, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? And he realizes at that moment, oh, I can't really swim. And so he begins to wrestle with who Jesus is and he begins to learn how to swim. But if we're to take this picture and if we had perhaps more details, we don't really know how the story goes. But in terms of the application I'm trying to make this morning, let's say Nicodemus goes and he says, I love Jesus, I get it, he fulfills the law, my water wings are thrown off, and I can swim. And he goes and he says, but but even knowing Jesus and being freed from the law, he thinks, yeah, I am so faithful. And Jesus loves me because of my faithfulness. And it's as a result of that that I am important and esteemed. You see, he begins to take what was his water wings and evaluate Jesus himself through it. Just like the comic would evaluate Jesus and say, oh, I'll clean up my humor, but I'm still going to rely on my humor. A Pharisee might very well meet Jesus and say, oh, I understand that you fulfill the law, but I'm still going to rely on a law, just a law that's informed by Jesus. And so he goes another couple of decades, but then eventually gets to the place to say, oh, this doesn't work. I'm not faithful. Don't know Jesus. I've relied on the wrong thing. And we realize that it's at that point when someone actually realizes that they're almost thrown in the middle of the ocean. And you realize, oh, my swimming ability isn't really going to do me any good at all. Because in where I actually exist, there's no hope, and I'm going to drown. And that's the point where we meet Jesus in more significant ways. Where we begin to talk about being born again. You know, there's this understanding in evangelicalism that being born again is this once decision for Jesus, and uh, and then it's done, and you're good to go. You're into heaven, right? The bank, everything's set. And I think both experience, but also you know, reading through Scripture, that becomes a very silly notion. And I'm not. Don't hear me saying that you're not. You're not saved. You're not rescued by Jesus. That you don't really know Him. But you're beginning a journey or a process by which you move into greater relationship with Him. And the only way to experience greater life in Jesus is for more of your old self to die. And you cling to that old self. You love him or her. And it's in that process that you realize that born again isn't a one-time thing. It's over and over again every time that more of your old self dies and more of the new self in Christ emerges. That that's actually life in Christ. That that is... Uh, new birth, that indeed you become like a child and unlearn certain things that have kept you desperately far from Jesus. Indeed, we realize that no one can affect their own birth in the Spirit any more than they can affect their, their earthly birth. And so for someone like Nicodemus who has relied on the law, he's confronted with Jesus saying, listen, the Spirit blows where it will and you cannot predict where life will occur. Because the Spirit is that which gives life. And so, Nicodemus, who part of his entire life is built on the premise that, of course I can predict where life will come, because life is given in return for faithfulness. And I can control my own faithfulness, and in that, I should be able to predict and control where life comes. And Jesus says, no. You want to understand what's going on here? You understand what's going to happen? Let's talk about the story of the bronze serpent. When for the sin of Israel, the plague of snakes came upon them and there was no hope, 
You couldn't save yourself. There wasn't anything you could do. And it wasn't the particularly faithful who were being spared. But what did God say? I make a bronze serpent. I'm going to put it on a pole. And anybody who looks on that bronze serpent in faith, that is the person who experiences life. Jesus is alluding to the fact that I am the one who's going to be lifted up on a pole. And I am the one who saves. And it isn't based on this paradigm you're working with, Nicodemus. It's based on looking upon me with faith. And realizing that only in me exists life. That all the things that you've relied upon up until this point, they have to be put away. They're all secondary. And you must be born again. Which means that your old self dies and you come to understand that solely by looking with faith upon the risen Son of God is there life. You wonder a little bit what, what happens to Nicodemus. Does he look with faith? The one who has come and snuck to Jesus in the night. John, so gracious to us to give us two more pictures of Nicodemus in his gospel. Later on, when the Pharisees are debating what to do with Jesus, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus and says, are we, are we going to put to death someone who hasn't even had a trial? And they mock him and accuse him of being part with Jesus. And then you get to the end of the story, and Jesus has died. And who shows up with this large quantity of incense and myrrh to anoint Jesus' body for burial but Nicodemus? In the daytime ready to be exposed for identifying and caring for the dead body of Jesus. Nicodemus came to understand, how do we know that? Because Nicodemus begins by sneaking to Jesus in the dark of night. And he finishes by allowing his deeds to be exposed to the light. Because he realizes that even if identifying with Jesus means death for me culturally that I will be cut off from the Pharisees, that I will be disowned by my people, I embrace all of that death to have life in Christ. Nicodemus understands that it is better to have death in Jesus than to have life without Jesus. Do you really believe that? Were there parts of your old self that you continue to give life to? Because you celebrate them more than you celebrate Jesus. And when you look atop the pole of that which you consider to be salvation in your life, it isn't just Jesus there. But it's something else. What competes for that place in your heart with Jesus? When you find yourselves in worry and anxiety and fear and jealousy and rage, what do you turn to? That's what's on top of your pole. Boys and girls, you understand this as well as the grown-ups. In some ways, you understand it better. So when we look at the very beginning of our story, as soon as our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, they fled and tried to hide in the darkness. And when you sin, when you disobey mommy or daddy, you head for the darkness. You find a closet or disappear into the woods behind the house. Any place that's a little bit where you might hide and where your sin might not be exposed. When you know that Jesus is life and light, and when you're at the point 
of putting that old self to death, then you're willing to have all of your deeds exposed because you understand that it's God doing them through you. But for those of you who still hide things in darkness, and there are many of us this morning, that if those things that are behind closed doors were revealed in the light, you would slink away in shame. There is not life there. And in surrendering them, and coming to Christ, He hangs atop the pole and surrenders His life so that you might be free of that bondage. Come to Him this morning and taste what it is to be in the presence of the risen Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to us. We thank You for life that is new. And we realize that we must be born again to receive it. And Father, we pray that in our, um, that Your Spirit would visit us in such a way that our old selves are increasingly put to death and we might find new life in Your Spirit. Father, we pray that as a church we would not be a place where sin can hide, but that the deeds of darkness would be exposed to the light, not so that we might be judgmental and not so that we might take great pride in our righteousness and in punishing others, but instead that we might be a place that actually lives in the life that You offer and rejoices in the light. Father, cut away our old selves so that we might truly know You, might truly know life, and might be drawn into Your presence and become the people that You intend us to be. We ask for Your grace in this in Christ's name. Amen.